Welcome to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church in Donaldson, Arkansas. This is Elder Dan Sammons preaching in our regular Sunday morning service. I appreciate that prayer. I do ask that you continue to pray for me in this service. I want to talk to you today about the concept of following something that's found in the Bible. It's essential to the notion of discipleship. We all should be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and there are many things discussed on the topic of following in the Bible, and I don't intend to cover them all today. It's kind of an interesting study if you just look up phrases like, follow me, and follow thou me, and things that were followed, and followers, and following, and these types of words. You start looking through the Bible, and you find a a lot of different things said about the idea of following, and I'm going to try to touch on some of those today. I'm going to start out in Matthew chapter 4, but I want to put a few ideas before you that following has something to do with repentance. It has something to do with making service in the Lord's house a priority in your life. It has to do with bearing crosses dealing with burdens in your life. It's going to require something of you. It's personal. It's something that you are going to have to do. There's a deliverance and a body of knowledge that can be acquired as a result of following. Leaders are to set an example that you can follow. And while I said it was a personal thing that you do to follow Christ, there's also a collective sense in which the church is to follow Christ. And it's about being like Christ and not being deceived by fables and myths and ridiculous notions that are served up as the alternative to the truth of the Lord's New Testament church. So I don't know how much of that I'll get to today, but those are some of the thoughts that are on my mind, some of the passages I have in mind. I think of my own childhood, I had uh, several very important men in my life. My grandfather, my father, and my brother. And at different times and in different circumstances, I can see when I was a child that I would have to follow them. With my grandfather, he'd take me down to Blakely Creek, and I'd follow him around as a little tyke with a fishing rod, and I'd follow him because he knew where the fish were, and he would say, you throw up under that branch right there, and I bet you you're going to catch a fish. I thought he was like a magician. You know, how does he know? Of course, there's fish all in that creek, so I mean, (laughs) but he knew the kind of places you could toss a bait and catch a fish, and by following him and listening to his instruction, I caught a gazillion fish out of that creek when I was a little kid, and I learned a lot as a result of it. With my dad, it was things like learning how to throw a baseball. My dad taught me how to throw a curveball, and then immediately after that became very worried that I was going to throw my arm out because I was a terrible pitcher in baseball. I had no heat. I had a weenie arm, basically, is what, what you would... But on the rare occasion that my baseball team would call upon me to pitch, that usually meant that you had a couple of guys out sick, and, you know, the other guy had pitched the previous week, so we got to get let, put Salmons up there. Well, we're in trouble now, because he's got no heat, but he does have some trash, right? He could throw the curveball, and I would throw curveballs on almost every pitch. And in Little League, that's pretty cool. If you can get a ball to break in Little League... Uh, you can strike a lot of people out with it. So it, it worked okay 
for a while. But my dad, I'd come in after pitching. He'd say, just stop throwing the curveball. He was afraid I was going to mess up my elbow or something, you know. Anyway, he taught me things like that. He taught me how to, how to throw a curveball. And, and I had to follow him and follow his instruction to be able to pick those things up. With my brother, it was kind of just like whatever my brother did. He was my older brother. I adored him and idolized him in many respects. I wanted to be just like Jay. So whatever he did, I got in. That's why I started playing baseball, because he was playing baseball. And that's why I started playing the guitar, because he started playing the guitar. So I just pretty much followed him in whatever he did. That's probably not that uncommon for, for younger brothers. But I adored my brother and still do and, and followed him in many ways. And as I think back over those three relationships, there's just numerous things that I learned from them, just natural things, fishing, throwing balls, playing guitar, these sorts of things, just by following people. And I wonder, do we consider the, the concept of following Jesus as being as handy as that? Do we think, if I follow Jesus Christ in my life, am I going to pick up as many practical things that I can make use of as I did from following my grandfather and my father and my brother just in natural matters? And I submit to you that you'll pick up way more that'll be way more profitable to you in your life if you're following Jesus Christ. And yet, I suspect we downgrade the notion of following Jesus and we exalt the notion of following a whole host of other things. So... It's something that we need to think about. What, what I want to start with here, I want to put this question on your mind. Who are you following? If someone had to characterize your life at this very moment, if they could look at your calendar, look at what your interests are, look at what you're spending your time on, who are you following? What portion of that pie chart that is your life could be you could say well that slice of pie there is where I'm really serving the Lord and following Jesus. How big is that slice of the pie? <clears throat> That's a potentially very convicting question and I suspect as you ask it to people across different portions of their life that slice of the pie doesn't remain exactly the same size at all times. I suspect that if you are a a real disciple of Christ who's growing in the grace and knowledge of the truth you will find that pie is growing over time because you will begin casting away some things that are foolish and not really that important and not ministering to your life the way that following Jesus Christ will. So the question I want you to consider today, are you following sports? Are you following Instagram or Twitter? There's any number of things you might follow out there, and people get very zealous about following their hobbies and things like this. But the Christian faith and discipleship is about following the Lord Jesus Christ. And to what degree are we following the Lord? Now, Jesus Christ came out of the wilderness after being tempted. This is in Matthew chapter 4. This is right before he's about to preach the Sermon on the Mount here. Uh, and this is kind of the beginning of his preaching. And we learn something important about following Christ here. Chapter 4 and verse 17. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's people all over the nation today under the broader umbrella of Christianity who are saying the kingdom of heaven is coming. Well, Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
that means it's right then and right now. We're in the kingdom era. And his command to those who wanted to follow him, first and foremost, is repent. Implicit in that is that you got some stuff you are doing that you need to stop doing. And instead, you need to follow Christ. So there's going to be some repentance that has to take place in our lives. Um, and I think sometimes we downgrade the notion of repentance in, in the church and in Christianity as, to, well, I was, uh, I was drinking too much beer on a Friday night and I stopped doing that. I repented from that. Now I've repented. It goes way beyond these kind of typical, you know, carnalities that you might see people getting wrapped up in, Right. It's, it's deeper than that. It's like, where are your affections? Where are you spending your time? Where is your focus? What occupies your mind? There's thoughts running around between your ears on a daily basis. And if, uh, you know, I've often thought, you know, if you could project those thoughts above your head so that everyone could see them, would you be, what would it say about you? What sort of categories are those thoughts falling into? Do they fall into the domain of I'm following Christ, I'm thinking on spiritual things, or is it just a bunch of carnality and silliness? <clears throat> Repentance is key to the notion of following Christ, and it is a, it's not just something that occurs one time. I think much of Christianity is wrong on the doctrine of salvation. They say, well, I repented of my sins and, and I got eternal salvation. I did this thing one time and then I got eternal salvation. But repentance is the proper motion of the new creature in Christ. That means it's going to happen over and over and over again as you continually examine your life. This is another thing that you often hear people say, well, I was converted. I, was, I repented and I was converted and I became a Christian. Well, I understand that those types of experiences happen. There may be some point in time where you say, this is when I really started to follow the Lord. But conversion is not the new birth. And conversion is something you're going to have to experience over and over again because it's very closely associated with the notion of repentance, right? When you repent from something, when you're convicted of some notion that's going on in your life, say, I don't need to do that anymore. I think the Word of God tells me I'm supposed to do something other than that. You are repenting, and in that repentance, you are converted to the truth, right? So this is all wrapped up in the notion of discipleship. Very important that we understand it. Uh, <clears throat> and Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. And straightway they left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. I've mentioned this several times in the last few months that that's a chilling thought to me. I've often thought if I'm sitting at work and someone comes up and says, follow me, you know, would I do it? If the Lord had come up to me at work or would I be, well, I'm busy. I got, I got this call I got to be on here in 30 minutes. This is a remarkable event here, but it models the attitude we're supposed to have with respect to following Christ. You see, we get busy mending our nets 
we get very focused on that. I'm mending these nets now. I'm, I'm, I've been spent planning on mending nets all week. You know, it comes around now. Sunday comes around. I'm going to have to mend these nets. No, you need to put the net down and follow Christ. Get yourself to church and there'll be some other time to mend those nets. Right. Uh, so there's a matter of priority that comes in view, but repentance is key to the notion of following Christ. You cannot be a follower of Christ without having repented. You follow me? Because if you're just following Christ and you've never repented anything, well, I guess you were just in, living in sinless perfection. You're not so much following Christ as you just were walking down the road and look, I'm just happened to be walking right behind Jesus because I'm so perfect that we just make all the same decisions. That is not how it works. Everyone who is a follower of Christ is a repenter. They've repented of something and to the extent that they've repented of something and entered into discipleship, they need to keep on repenting, keep on being converted, keep on keeping on is what they said back in the 70s, right? So... That is very important to the notion of following. Turn over a little bit to chapter 8, and let's look at about verse 18. Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about Him, He gave a commandment to depart unto, other, unto the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto Him, Master, I will follow Thee whithersoever Thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, the foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their dead. You see, there are things that we will set as priority over following Christ. And here is a situation where we're talking about a, a funeral situation, right? Christ here is saying, that is not as important as following me. You see that? Now that is a stark statement. We've had funerals in, in this church and with people we know very recently. And we know this idea that it's, it's hard to imagine a family member saying, well, I, I'm, I, I'm, I've got to go to my dad's funeral. Or i got to go to my mother's funeral or something like that. And the Lord making this statement, kind of put yourself into this moment. No, follow me. In this instance, he's saying, follow me. He's saying, this is more important than that thing, which all of us would regard as very important. You see what I'm saying? He is exalting the notion of the importance of following Christ. And um, that means... We're going to have to consider some things that we regard as very important and as a high priority. We're going to have to downgrade them if we're going to follow Christ. You follow me? We're going to have to be less enthusiastic about some things that we regard as important because that conflict is going to come up in your life. There's going to be some instances in your walk of faith where you're going to have to say, I thought this thing was important, but following Christ is more important. And I'm going to have to do that. <clears throat> so that's a very, very vivid picture of the importance and priority of following Christ 
directly from the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it should give us pause about how quickly, how quick we are to trivialize following Christ and serving in the Lord's church versus a host of other really insignificant things, right? I'm not saying a funeral is insignificant, but I'm saying that if you step back from that, that one might create a real conflict in your mind. But if, if you really step back and look at times when we have not served or not followed the Lord, you're going to find that it wasn't because you had a death in the family, right? You're going to find it's because there was a football game on, or you had family in from out of town, or fill in the blank. You all know what your own instances are. And I'm saying in that instance, we have exalted trivial things over the notion of following the Lord, and we've made them more of a priority than following Christ. That's something to consider. The Lord didn't see it that way. The Lord didn't see it that way. Turn over to Mark chapter 8. We've got another instance of following the Lord here. This one might be a little unpleasant to look at, but, um, you know, the Bible tells you the truth. <laughs> you won't come to the house of God and just hear a bunch of stuff that's just going to make you feel good, and it's not the truth. Well, that's going on all over the place. But if you really read the Bible and look at what it says, it's going to point out some things that you re may regard as a little unpleasant. This is probably one of them. Uh, Mark 8. 34, and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto him, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There's a cross of service that we're going to have to bear in this matter of serving the Lord. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in glory of, the Father, of his Father with the holy angels." We're going to have to bear the cross of Christ. Whatever things... Um, we have to endure as a result of our profession of faith. They're coming. There's going to be people who rain contempt on your profession of faith. They're going to think you're a fool for uh, missing out on some of the fanfare, uh, the carnality of this world, uh, because you chose to go to church on Sunday or you chose to serve in the Lord's house or chose to live a life that is honoring to Christ. Uh, but we're to bear up under that. Uh, the Bible teaches us that His grace is sufficient in such things. So there's a matter of faith in this. That may seem like, bearing a cross does not seem like a pleasant thing to do. And what we know about the cross that Christ bore, uh, it's an incredibly unpleasant image. Uh, but God's grace is sufficient. And it tells you that these things are going to be part of the reality of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you follow Him, you're going to have to bear your cross in doing it. Turn over to Luke chapter 18. Chapter 18, verse 22. 
By the way, I think some of the things that were talked about in that previous passage are really drilling into what I think is the primary sin in American Christendom today, which is covetousness. We're all too affluent. We've got too, many, too much money and too many options to do things that we find more entertaining and interesting than going to church and serving the Lord. Now, that's an unpleasant little reality, but I'm telling you the truth. It is true. Thank you. This one's talking about it too. So this is the, uh, I believe this is a rich young ruler. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Now think about what's going on here. Jesus Christ, who cannot lie, just told this man, If you just sell all you got and follow me, I'm going to give you treasure in heaven. That's drilling right into the heart of this man's issue. This man had an issue with covetousness. He had too much stuff. He thought he was willing to do just about anything, and Jesus Christ put his finger on the one thing he wasn't willing to do. <laughs> you see that? And it prevented this man, at least at this moment, it prevented him from following Christ. He went away sorrowful. You see how material things of this world and the love of money and the love of stuff can get right between you and Jesus Christ. If any of you feel this or don't really like to hear it, I suspect you are rolling through your mind right now a bunch of reasons why that's not the case with me. But if you have to spend that much energy, if you have to spend those calories to try to justify your own position in it, I suspect you've got an issue in this regard. And I don't say that of anyone in particular. I say it as kind of an overarching theme that permeates American Christianity and even the primitive Baptist church. It's just a reality, and the Lord warned us. He warned us about money a lot. We tend to think about prosperity as a good thing, but as often as not, it can be just as much of an impediment as it is an aid, right? Serving and following Christ is going to require something of you. It's going to require something. You're going to have to walk away from some things. It costs something to the Apostle Paul. If you look over in Philippians chapter 3, he makes this statement. Chapter 3 and verse 4, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I am more. Now he's talking about, I've served. I've done a lot. He's kind of saying, I'd put my record up against anybody's. I've gone through a lot. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law of Pharisee. He's talking about this is my religious life prior to Christ. And I've had, I mean, if you look at how they measured people in that day, by that measure, he, looks, he stands up pretty good against just about anybody. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He's like, as a Jew, I was top notch. People were not questioning this. But then in verse 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, <coughs> not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. See, Paul had to walk away from something. 
Paul was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was educated in the Hebrew religion of that day. And he had all of this training and whatnot, and it provided for him a certain status within Hebrew society. Now, the moment you realize what I've been preaching as a Hebrew is not the truth, you've got a problem on your hands, professionally speaking. See what I'm saying? This happens in our time, by the way. I, I would say this is one of the reasons that we are against formal seminary training. Because seminaries have a particular doctrine that they are going to proselytize you in. And once you are codified within that religion and credentialized, and you've borrowed $100,000 to do it, your professional options with respect to making use of that degree fall within a very particular domain of religious beliefs And they must exist there because the moment you step away from it, your degree is worthless. You follow me? You get enfranchised in a particular doctrine through this process. And it creates a problem if someone then, and I've known ministers who are in this situation. Brother Sonny's had them contact him and say, look, I, I... I'm a Southern Baptist was the example, and and I was trained in this particular form of religion, but I have now read the Bible and I come to believe what you primitive Baptists believe, but I am not going to preach it. I've got a couple of years left till retirement, and I'm just going to ride it on out, keep my head down, get my retirement, and I'm walking away. Now that is an ugly little truth, but it is the truth, and I've encountered more than one minister who's in this situation. There's a sense in which coming to hear the truth is a huge problem for these men. You see what I'm saying? You go out, borrow $100,000, get trained up in a particular religion, get a job in that religion, and then you realize, oh, salvation is not by asking Jesus into your heart. It's by the grace of God, and we didn't have anything to do with it. If I preach that at my church... I'm not going to have a job anymore. By the way, my degree is in their religion, which means it's worthless unless you want to be a Walmart greeter. They're paying me well. I've got to step away from this. By the way, now I've got five kids and a mortgage. This is a huge problem. People get enfranchised into false notions of religion by the seminary institutions. And it puts them in there. You know what? It's like they're checking into the Hotel California. Right? It's going to be hard to to leave this situation. Forgive me for running that rabbit trail, but I'm I'm telling you this. There's something in following the truth. It's going to require something of you. And um, it's easy to get proselytized in false notions that put you in a bind where actually starting to preach the truth could create enormous problems in your life. Those are real issues. <clears throat> I want to talk about how this is personal. Let's go back to John chapter 21. I'm going to have to pick up the pace here if I'm going to get through all these things. 
<coughs> excuse me, John chapter 21, verse 19. This one's interesting. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, follow me. This is Jesus at the end of the Gospel of John talking to his disciples and having this conversation. And then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? That's John, by the way. Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith to him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is it that thee, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. See, we can't get too wrapped up in uh, trying to figure out how this other person is going to be following, right? We need to be really focused on our following. If everyone was focused on following Christ, if we just had an example where we're going to walk down the road, we're going to walk down 67 here to the river. And Jesus is out there. He's going to lead the way. And we're all following the Lord. It, one may follow a little closer, not quite as close, and some a little spread out a little farther. But we're all basically going in the same direction. And if we're following Christ, we're going to all make it down there together. And we shouldn't be overly concerned about the particulars of how this brother over here is following Christ. If we're all following Christ, we're going to look like a, a little herd, a little flock, following the Lord together. <clears throat> we can get wound up. Have you ever been more concerned about how one of your brothers and sisters in Christ is following the Lord, or perhaps not following the Lord the way you think they ought? And meanwhile, you've got your own issues with not following the Lord. Very convicting to me. I think we have to be careful. We really should be trying to set a good example. And, uh, but this following Christ thing is first and foremost, it's a personal thing. It's a thing that we have to commit to doing ourselves and being diligent about. And when we do that, we turn over to Acts chapter 12. We're going to find something here. There's a blessing in it. Verse 5. Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him and a light shined up in the prison. He smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Rise up quickly. And his chains fell from his hands, and the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did, and saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. Now he's following an angel here. He's following a messenger of the Lord here. Not following the Lord, but he's following a messenger of the Lord. See any application for that? And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. This is such an amazing deliverance out of prison, he doesn't even think it's real. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate, which leads to the city, which opened to them of his own accord, like a garage door, just open it up, nobody there to do it. And they went out and passed on through the street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel, and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod, and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews." Peter followed a messenger of the Lord, and he was delivered out of a dire circumstance as a result of it. Now, you may not end up in a Roman prison. You may not see doors open like a garage door and walk out. You will not have that occasion, I, I suspect. However, 
There will be many deliverances in your life if you will follow those who are teaching the truth and follow what they teach. You're going to be led out of many prisons in this lifetime. But you're going to have to follow. What if if Peter had just sat there? Right? It says he didn't even believe this was real. Right? He's kind of like, this is happening. I can't even believe this is happening. He could have just said, I don't even think this is real. I must be dreaming. I'll just sit here. It required something of Peter to follow. And he found a deliverance in that. And at the end of it, very interesting. Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod. See, he not only was delivered, he learned something in the process of his deliverance. He learned something that helped him affirm and build up his faith in the Lord by saying, I see that the Lord delivered me. It's not just, well, I got out somehow. You know, things happen. It's just random chance. And I guess the door, I guess they forgot to lock those doors. It was the weirdest thing. Total fluke. That is not where Peter was at the end of this. He's like, God delivered me. I learned something. God is a God that delivers his people out of circumstances, and he will deliver you out of many circumstances to the extent that you follow him and follow those that teach his truth. Now, I brought up following leaders. This gets a little bit squirrely sometimes. Be very careful about following men who are standing behind wooden pulpits. That includes me. You shouldn't believe anything I tell you. How about that? The Bereans search the Scriptures daily to see if these things are so. I can get up here and say anything. You need to search the Scriptures to see if these things are so. And if they are so, you should follow them. Paul talks about this. I get really nervous about the idea of, well, you ought to follow me. I'm the angel of the Lord. I'm the minister. I'm the, you should follow me. I say that with reverential fear. I know my imperfections and uh, I know I've got a lot of issues. Here's what I would say. Don't follow me. You should receive what I say with all readiness of mind. That is a proper position for a disciple to be in. But you should search the scriptures daily to see if those things are so. And if they are so, you shouldn't say, well, I'm doing that because Brother Dan got up there and said it. That don't mean nothing. You should say, I'm doing that because the Word of God says it. And by the way, I'm thankful Brother Dan told it to me. Right? God does provide this. This is the cautionary word. The disclaimer I want to put on this idea of trying to tell you to follow your minister. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. You see, there's a requirement laid on this. Not be a follower of me. Hey, there's people in Christianity today saying, I'm standing up here as an apostle. You realize why they say that? Because the moment you say you're an apostle, you're saying there's extra books of the Bible that hadn't even been written down yet, and they're running around in my head. I'm going to tell you something totally new and different, and because I'm an apostle just like Paul... It's just as much Scripture as anything you find in the Bible. That's why the term apostle is commandeered among false practitioners of religion. They want you to think they have apostolic authority, that their word is Scripture. There's many Christian groups who make use of this. And it's false. Paul said, you follow me, 
as I'm following Christ, right? If I'm not following Christ, don't follow me, right? He told the Galatian church, if I or an angel from heaven come and preach any other gospel to you, don't believe it. There's the gospel, and then there's all this other stuff out there. And if even Paul came back to the churches of Galatia and said, well, actually salvation is about, you know, at the end of time, God's going to weigh your good things and your bad things. And if you have more good than bad, then you're going to heaven. He's saying, if I come back and preach that nonsense, reject it. And that's an apostle saying that, by the way. Pretty remarkable. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So that's the cautionary word there. That's the reason you need to be a Berean. That's the reason you need to be familiar with your Bible. That's the reason I would take it even further. That's the reason you probably ought to take some notes in church. You ought to look some things up. Don't take my word for it. But if it's in the Word of God, you ought to believe it. 1 Thessalonians. We talked about how uh, following Christ is an individual thing, and it is. It's something you should do, you're called upon to do. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 we find this testimony, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord. You see that? Now that statement can't be true unless those people were following the Lord, right? If the Lord's walking down here to the river and you're going to follow the Lord, and I start walking back up 67 towards Malvern, there's no way you can be a follower of me and of the Lord. You see that? It's implicit that these things have to be in agreement with one another. And that's another check on what we believe and, and who we follow. We should be checking it against the Word of God, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. That's the guiding principle. You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the Word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Ghost, so that we were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Those who are ministering the Word to you should be an example of the truth. They should be following the Lord themselves. And to the extent that we're all following the Lord then, we're all kind of walking along in that same flock together. So we can do that collectively as a church, and that's what he's talking about. He's talking to a church here who had all come to this profession of faith, and they were all following Christ. And finally, over in, uh, well, i got two more verses, so maybe I can get to them. 1 Peter chapter 2. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. If you ever had a terrible boss at work, you'd realize what a challenge that can be. It can be pretty annoying to have to, uh, to serve someone that you think is unfair or unjust in how they handle things. But that's our command. We are to be good servants there. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if when we be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. So following Christ in this world, serving as you ought, say in your secular job, doing the things that you ought, which may be unpleasant at times depending on who you're working for. And maybe you're being treated unjustly in this. But if you endure that with patience, it is a testimony before men. And it makes you Christ-like in this sense. For even hereunto were ye called. That means this testimony you have of that sort is something that we're called upon to do. And it is a witness of Christ in this world. Because Christ also suffered for us, 
leaving us an example that ye should follow His steps. You see that? When you think about how difficult that situation can be, I'm giving a work example, but there's probably a lot of other examples that crop up in your mind. When you think about how difficult that can be, you should think about Christ suffered for me. The indignities that Christ suffered over the course of His earthly ministry are unfathomable when you think about who Jesus Christ was. And He endured them for you. And so our enduring them is merely a pale reflection of Christ in us, but it's something that we're called to do. And it says, we should follow His steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. Who when He was reviled, reviled not again. Boy, that's a tough one. But that's how Christ was in these things. So there's going to be some suffering, and as we endure it patiently and deal with it correctly while we're following Christ, that makes us appear to be Christ-like. But I want to close with this idea, and this is in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. And this is a very popular verse, but one I want us to consider here as we close. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. By the way, who's that addressed to? Brethren. You follow what I'm saying there? There's a theological point sitting in that one word in this text. He is not saying, go make your calling and election sure so that you will become eternally saved. He's addressing this to brethren, to people who are already eternally saved. These are the brethren, and it's telling them something they should do. That means you can be a brethren, and your calling and election in your own mind may not be all that sure. You may be ignorant, unstable, prone to following all sorts of foolish notions out there. You're not diligently following Christ. You're just kind of willy-nilly bouncing around like a plinko ball in the world of religion. Blown around by every wind of doctrine. That's what Paul calls it. Not being settled on the truth. You see, as you follow Christ, you should start to be settled in the direction that Christ is headed and in the truth that He teaches. Not wandering around hither and yon. Well, I thought this over here and then I went over here and did this. No, follow Christ. And as you do, you're going to find stability. You're going to understand He's leading me in the right direction. This is the direction I need to go. Wherefore, the rather brethren, that's us, that's us, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Not, yeah, once in a while, make your calling and election eh, kind of sure. <laughs> diligence. What's the thing you're most diligent in, in your life? It should be that. And even more so. Are you that diligent? Diligence to make your calling and election sure. And there's a promise associated. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. That's a pretty tremendous promise. The number of times I've fallen and skint my knees in my Christian discipleship are a pretty good indication of how little I've been diligent in this matter from time to time. You see that? That folly falls upon me. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is more that you could press into in the kingdom of God. There's more that you can know. The more you serve, the more you press into it, the more you pour your life into serving the Lord. There's more and more blessing for you there. Wherefore... I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. See, he's, he's not only saying, 
I'm telling this to believers, to God's people. I'm saying I'm telling it to you again because I've told it to you before. And by the way, I'm going to keep telling you this. Now, do you think that if Paul's perspective on this was it's one and done, I'll just tell you this once and you're just going to do it from here on out. That's just not how we are. We need to be steadily reminded of these things and it's important. Peter reminded those he was preaching to here of the need to repeat these things and we need to have them repeated as well. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. These things need to be repeated over and over again, and I need it as much as you do. Knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. Following the truth is important. It'll visit great stability into your existence in the here and now. And here's why. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. You see, you are surrounded in the entire world by all sorts of cunningly devised fables. There's science, falsely so-called. There's false religions of the world. There's all kinds of false notions. There's the religion of atheism. There's the religion of evolutionism. There's the re- all these different ideas that are out there in the world. And they're cunningly devised fables. But to the extent that you are rooted in the truths of the Word of God, you begin to indemnify yourself from the influence of that sort of nonsense and solidify yourself in the habit of following the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I pray that's a blessing to you. We talked about the need for repentance. Priority is following the Lord a priority. It's going to require something of you. And it's important for us to think about what is requiring the most of us right now. How does our service and following of the Lord compare to those things? It's a personal matter. It's a decision that all of God's disciples need to make and need to follow through on and be diligent about. The Lord has sent leaders. He's sent God-called elders to come and teach you in these things. And you should follow them to the extent that they are following Christ. And that means you have an obligation to be diligent with respect to checking on what they're preaching. You know, there were a lot more old Baptist churches in America a hundred years ago A lot of the churches that are around were old Baptist churches 200 years ago. You ever think about that? Somewhere along the way, somebody got up in a pulpit not dissimilar to this one and started preaching something that wasn't true. And so people went along with it. This is sort of the history of Christianity. It's been well said that evangelicalism is a mini-splintered thing. Somewhere along the lines, there was a point at which someone starts teaching something that's not true, which generally is the Galatian error, that there's something else that needs to be done other than the work of Christ to get people to heaven. And an assembly of people who heard this said, that's what I'm going with. They didn't take what the Bereans did and say, I hear what you're saying, but I'm looking here, and it says something different. It says that we're saved as part of an everlasting covenant that is ordered in all things and sure. Not that salvation's out there free will and waiting on man to make some kind of decision. It says it is not of he that willeth nor he that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. But somewhere along the way, somebody started preaching a Galatian error, the Judaizing error of works. And those who were not diligent 
to check that against the Word of God, followed that, and they've gone off into error as a result. And it's important that we know that. It underscores the importance of being a Berean and checking what we say. So you follow your leaders, but only to the extent that they're following Christ. And you check what they say, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. We endure suffering as we follow Christ, but that only makes us Christ-like, at least in some small way. We're showing some evidence of His Spirit within us when we do that. And by the way, we're not following cunningly devised fables. We're following the gospel truth of the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I give you an opportunity to follow Him by joining the church through letter of baptism as we sing Amazing Grace. Thank you for listening to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church. This has been Elder Dan Sammons preaching in one of our regular meetings. Come and join us as we worship God in the simplicity of Christ every Sunday morning at 416 North Hall Street in Donaldson, Arkansas. At Harmony, we don't have many things you'll find in the popular churches of our day, but we do have a successful Savior. We invite you to come and see.